0: listeners welcome back to the busby babe podcast i'm colin dams here with nathan and polly once again how's it going fellas
1: uh pretty swell colin how you doing
0: uh yeah i'm, I'm doing okay um the world's been in a, a bit of a state uh the last couple weeks uh oh we we're didn't,
2: going there right away
0: yeah <laughs> well uh, we we skipped a week so uh i, I figured we'd just uh fill everyone in that, uh, there wasn't really much we figured would be worth talking about uh last week but uh we're back um manchester no united
2: was last week and none of us wanted to talk about football
0: yeah uh <laughs> not that there we couldn't have found things to talk about necessarily but it just didn't seem right at the time to try and focus on that because i don't know if any of us would have done a good job of it but uh yeah we're we're back this week and um we're gonna be talking about the latest manchester united news uh, some transfer rumors, and uh, some actual transfer reports. And then we've got a new feature of fan voicemails that we're going to get to later in the show. So, uh, yeah, you guys want to dive right into it?
2: No, let's wade in through the shallow end.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Bad <laughs> L- Pogba takes only. Let's go. All
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> wade in through the shallow end. You know, summer's just starting, so.
0: Yeah. Well, um, the summer transfer window. May not be starting yet, but uh, reports that Chelsea have locked up Tino, Timo Werner, who uh, Polly has been big on as a Manchester United target, and uh, was heavily linked with Liverpool. I think all three of us probably thought that we were, if we were going to lose out, it might be to them. But uh, in another kind of turn of events, Liverpool are broke. So uh, maybe uh, a bit of a lose-one-win-one one there. Yeah,
1: it's a... Uh, well... First of all, just looking at it from the Chelsea angle, it's uh, an interesting bit of business that they've put together now over the last maybe 12 months. You know, post, post getting the ban, they were able to sneak in the Pulisic transfer, which I think at least the three of us on this panel, um, who are very much American, uh, were stoked to see him come to the Premier League if it was still the wrong team. That's a bummer. But I think he's still a good young signing for him, especially if he can stay healthy. And then... You know, they were able to, out of nowhere, get that Hakeem Zayek transfer out of Ajax. And I think, you know, he's quite the exciting player. And it'll be very interesting to see how he goes from, you know, playing in the Netherlands to playing in the Premier League. Of course, Ajax had that incredible run last year in the Champions League. So I think he could certainly make the jump. And he's an exciting player to see. And then if they throw Timo Werner in there, that's all of a sudden, you know, three really great offensive players on a team that has lacked consistent uh, firepower. I mean, they've been on and off trying to rely on Olivier Giroud, and they had Tammy Abraham kind of break onto the scene, but of course he's young, and so he kind of tailed off. So the fact that they're going to get three consistent – or they're going to get two new consistent guys to start next season and one who's a proven goal scorer in Germany is a little terrifying from the opposition end of things looking at it.
2: Yeah, yeah. we all thought we all it wasn't just us it was really the whole football world that really thought if maybe not if not us then Liverpool but really just Liverpool uh Mm -hmm. everybody I spoke to that's close with Liverpool all the Liverpool sources and everything were just yeah they're they're kind of publicly playing down the links and everything but he's Klopp's number one target and everybody knew that uh it was Liverpool that Werner wanted to go to to the point that He said, and he spoke with Salzburg up front. uh, If I don't go to Liverpool, I'm I'm probably not going to leave. I don't want to leave. I'm going to stay. And Salzburg were, according to the Athletic, they were okay with that. Even though a year from now, that release clause would have went from 50 million to 25 million, and they'd take a massive hit on that. And for 25 million, you can't possibly see Liverpool. Not going, not exercising that option a year from now, and they were okay with that. And then it came down to they they basically need money because of COVID, and there's not they're not putting butts in the seats anymore. They're they're just getting you know the TV the TV money, and who knows when they're going to be able to put butts in the seat and get that match day revenue again in the future. And they needed money, and they basically went to Werner and explained it to him and based and essentially said, we have to sell you this year. And even if like, if we'll sell you to Liverpool, if they come calling, but if not, we, if somebody else comes calling, we have to sell you. And he agreed to go for the good of the club. And it kind of just seemed like everybody was on board with Liverpool and they didn't come through. And it kind of just turned into, uh, Chelsea, like, huh? Uh, Oh, okay i guess there are now reports that say lampard went to uh uh went to berlin i believe and met him there right before the lockdown happened and sold him on what his plan was we do know that ali solskjaer went in february and met him in berlin and was talking with him but at the time it was you know i'm i'm dead set on on liverpool and united were also sort of in this you know they had their they had their transfer allocations for Jin and Sancho and Jack Grealish and and everybody else and it was basically like we'll spend the money on you if Paul Pogba leaves and now Paul Pogba's not leaving so suddenly that money is kind of in flux so suddenly he's going to Chelsea where i think he'll be really dangerous i just question and i just question if Frank will be able to figure it out and if Frank does figure it out then Chelsea are going to become a very <laughs> –
1: very dangerous team well and yeah. then looking at that team lineup too do you think he plays as more of a traditional number nine or do they pair him up where he's playing more of that marcus rashford out on the wing but will cut inside and then they've got tammy abraham up front because um, all of a sudden they're going from having two very old wingers to potentially having very very young wingers and very dangerous wingers i mean i i think
0: Ziyech is probably not going to play centrally. I think they may play him as a winger type player kind of similar to what he does for Ajax, is maybe like a right side attacking midfielder. Um you know, maybe Pulisic on the left and I think Mason Mountain has played well enough to probably keep his spot in the middle of that front three in midfield. Um I I assume Werner will be the number 9. I don't I don't think Tammy Abraham has been good enough to keep that spot after they spend 50 million pounds on a forward to come in
2: right and abraham's not he hasn't signed a new contract yet it really if verner can verner can play on the left and he can very much play that rashford role and he excels excel in it the question is can tammy abraham play like the key to rashford's role is the way that anthony martial plays and can tammy abraham play that role he's more of just a get in the box number nine kind of guy and you know getting that service from the wingers so if he could play that role then yeah Werner can really excel on the left and Ziyech will play on the right and Pulisic will probably be the odd man out because Lampard hates him Um, otherwise I would see Werner going down the middle but maybe not right away you know if Tammy Abraham has a good close of the season I could see Werner starting out a little slow, you know, the plan was, and Klopp was very upfront with him, the plan was he was going to start out on the bench at Liverpool and he would be integrated into the team around December when Salah and Mane have to go to the African Cup of Nations. That was, you know, the pre-COVID plan. When I say start on the bench, you know, he'd still play. He'd still come in every game as a sub. As soon as, you know, he probably, you know let's say we play three games in August. He'd probably start one of them. He'd probably, you know, he'd probably start their first champions league game. And if he doesn't start that champions league game, you know, he's going to start the premier league game on either side of that first game. So he'd still play, he'd still get his opportunities. And if it takes him a while to get, to get acclimated to the English game, then no problem because he's a bench player, you know, who's not really, you're not relying on him full time until December. And if he, if it if he hits the ground running, then he'd on merit probably usurp Bobby Firmino by November and be a star. And that's a win-win situation for Liverpool. So if Abraham closes out the season very well, then I could see him holding off Werner at least to start the season. So there's less pressure on Werner to come in and hit the ground running.
0: Uh, we probably shouldn't spend too much more time talking about other teams, but real quick. <laughs> Uh, do you guys think that Chelsea are ahead of us in terms of catching up to Liverpool right now?
1: No. I, I, I think if you were to go uh, just down the list where you just compare each position, I think we're probably still more consistent. I definitely think we have a much better defense. Um, That's it. It's yeah. right
2: there. Chelsea are horrific defensively, and it's not just that they haven't done anything to address that, because... You know, we signed Harry Maguire, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. We didn't just say, here's Harry Maguire and here's Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Go make our defense better. As a team, we are a very organized defensive mm-hmm. unit that prevents the ball from getting. You know, we, rest- we restrict the ball from getting into our own third way more than we did last year. Um, so as a team, we're better defensively. Chelsea are pretty horrific at that. And even bringing in better players won't necessarily solve that unless Frank figures it out. And that's what I was saying about a minute or so ago. You look at the table from the beginning of October or the beginning of November until where we left off in March and United are well ahead of Chelsea. It's all about that five-game winning run they had in September, October when we were without Martial and Pogba and we couldn't buy a win. That's setting the two teams apart right now.
1: Well, and f- for our friends over at We Ain't Got No History, um, here's your moment now to clip it, just in case you want to use it against me later on. But um, you guys are spending all this money on Timo Werner just to be on a milk carton against Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So, end Stop. clip.
0: <laughs> also, beating him how many times so far this year? Three?
2: Right. How many times has Ollie lost to Chelsea?
0: Yeah.
2: And how many times? they she's put... beaten him four times in five games, thanks yeah. to a David De Gea howler. Not five out
0: of five. Oh God, I just remembered that. All right, time to move on. I
1: completely <laughs> forgotten about this, so thanks for that one. All right,
0: um, Manchester United transfer rumors. Uh, of course, we've been linked with Jadon Sancho, but a bit more on that later. Uh, this week, we've been linked with some attacking midfield talents, uh, Donny van de Beek from Ajax, who was a big part of their Champions League run last year and has been a big part of their squad that defended the Eredivisie this year. And uh, Kai Havertz, who's been an up-and-comer at Bayer Leverkusen, um, kind of started out making his name as a playmaker, but he's played all over the front three, including on the wing and at striker at times. Um, What do you guys think about this so far? I think probably it's safe to assume that one or both of these is definitely not happening. But I like the idea of you know, trying to bolster a midfield that is already looking pretty strong after the arrival of Bruno Fernandes.
1: Yeah, I, the, the Van de Beek one is kind of interesting because it, it, it seemed like it was done and dusted for Real Madrid. And then Real Madrid kind of looked at their finances and like, wait a minute, we're still spending way too much money on people. And then you've got, obviously, the Edwin Vandersar um, connection, which if you guys want to go sift through the Busby Babe podcast uh, archives, you can find uh Colin and I just absolutely raving about that man for what was it like an hour and 15 minutes like it, yeah. it was it was a very pro Edwin Vandersar podcast so having action the and the, these links popping up i think Van de Beek's a good player i think once again if we can bring in proven strong midfielders like i don't see an issue with that sort of the, it, for anybody who argues well what about this current player that we're having are we stunning their growth it would be like look they either take the competition they get better or they don't we move on Um, that's kind of where we need to start getting back to instead of feeling so protective towards guys that we already have on the roster, but I, I I,
2: I mean, that is, I just, I don't understand it. I don't like Bruno Fernandez is not the best midfielder in the world. So if you bring in someone that's better than him, that's good. And if Bruno can't handle that, then you're at the wrong club. And this way, if someone that is better than him, and and I'm not saying that Van De Beek or Kai Havertz um are better than him necessarily. I'm just saying, like, let's use Bruno Fernandez as an example. If he can't handle that someone is coming in to provide competition and is better than him and is and playing better than him, I have no problem with anybody who comes in. Bruno starts the season out as first choice um, because he's been here already. But if if that person is performing And Bruno goes to the bench, and then you know that that player gets hurt, and Bruno or any other player at United come in, and they can't perform anymore because they went to the because they lost their first team place. Then this isn't the club for you. So you know, bringing in depth is a very good option because we were just you know we just saw what happens when we were built around one player and that one player got hurt
1: yeah well and i i think because we became more conservative in our in our transfer business too i mean we didn't necessarily spend the farm on bruno fernandez either so it using him as the example if he is to be the one that is the example you know i think for what his talent level is and what his capabilities are and what he'll still bring to a team even if he got relegated to being off the bench or a squad player like 50 million pounds. We've spent it way worse before, and so I don't. I, I especially when the midfield's so important to anything that the team does. It, the more, the more the merrier, honestly. Especially if they're talented, and we didn't, you know, completely blow our wad on Bruno. But you know, Van de Beek I think is is a good shout. Uh, especially with the talents that he brings, kind of in a he could play more of a box to box holding guy. Uh, which allows our creative midfielders to be more creative, uh, cause they don't have to worry about as much defensive coverage. Um, it is kind of interesting to watch. Ajax is almost compared to like that Monaco team from a couple years ago. Ajax has been almost like more of a slower moving coup just cause it seems like a couple guys left, you know, last year, Frankie de Jong and, uh, de Ligt, And now all of a sudden Van de Beek, you know, Hakeem Zayek, um, it didn't get dismantled as quickly, and they were able to have a little bit more success this year. But slowly but surely, everyone across Europe is taking notice of the talents that are on that team. I'm sure, you know, Tagliafico is a little bit older, but he might still get snagged up by somebody who needs a, a veteran left back. I mean, there's there's good players all over that roster. Um, and then from Havertz, we, we talked about it today in the Slack. The idea of like bringing on Havertz is both a creative force in the center or once, like the way Chelsea might use Ziyech, playing him maybe out on the right wing, I think is pretty enticing. Um, having him play almost like a Bernardo Silva style role, like what City does having a distributor and a creator right there on the right wing, not just a burner, I think makes it that much more dangerous for unlocking the defense and providing, you know, great service then to the likes of Anthony Marcial or Odia Nagalo or Mason Greenwood when he finally becomes a 20 goal a season scorer, which might be a lot sooner than later. So I think both of them are good signings. If we can make them, let's do it. And if not, I mean, I understand too, because we've got our eye on the prize. I think, and uh, but we're not talking about that now. That's later on in the show.
2: <laughs> well, let's let's also let's pump the brakes here. Because, all right, there's two things that bother me about Van de Beek. Is one is he would be a fantastic signing. He gives us depth everywhere at the number ten, um, at in in right in. Just midfield like for Pogba or he could play and like, he could play as part of a defensive, you know, as part of the midfield, too, and a double pivot. He could play there, which we need depth everywhere. It's nice to be versatile. You know, if Bruno Fernandes goes down and then um, Van de Beek would have to be the number 10. Cool. If Pogba goes down, you need Van de Beek to slot in next to Fred so that the ball can get to Bruno. Great. It it drives me nuts when people say, well, he's going to demand, um, you know, to be a first choice player. I'm like, we can't do that. First of all, if he, again, if he's better than Pogba, if he's better than Bruno, if he's better than Fred, if he's better than any of those guys, then you're first choice. Don't care. Second of all, no, you're not. That's not the way it works. Like, and players know this. When they, when you go from a team like Ajax to a team like Manchester United, you are not worth, In Jack Realish's case, a team like Aston Villa to a team like Manchester United, you are probably not walking into that 11, especially if they have players in your position. And you're going to have to compete for your spot. And like I just said before with Werner, he'll have his spot. You know, August is always a tough month because it's the only time of the year where we play one game and then we're off for a week. And you're basically everybody's fully healthy and you can run back an unchanged 11 with no – with no regards. And when you do make any changes, it's always, there's always more emphasis put on it. It's like, Oh, wow, that guy got dropped as opposed to any other time in the year where it's like, Oh, um, Daniel James isn't playing today, but that's because we have a big game in Europe coming up this week and we're resting. And that's what's going to happen. Vandebeek will play, you know, he'll play in Europe. He'll play in the cups. And by the time we finished September last this season, by the end of September, Anthony Martial was already injured. Paul Pogba was already injured twice. You know, injuries happen, and if you pick up, a, like, by adding the depth, if if someone picks up a knock one week where they can play, if I need you to play 90 minutes for me, you can, but maybe it's better that you only play 15 or 30. Well, now you can turn to Van de Beek and say, okay, it's you know, it's week two, but we're, we're going to let Bruno's ankle heal so it doesn't, you know become much worse down the line that happens and it happens all the time so like the idea that he's a bench player like he's going to play you know nicky but played all the time for united the other thing is i just don't get where this this don't i, I don't get where everybody's all of a sudden like this signing's going to happen these reports came out of nowhere um and i know we were previously linked to him but th- like nathan said it was done and dusted going to real madrid and all of a sudden a report comes out of the Of a paper in Holland that says, oh, United are trying to hijack the deal. That is the number one time to say, oh, that deal's probably, you know, someone is floating United's name out to try to create a bidding war. It could be Ajax. It could be um, Van de Beek's agent to tell Real Madrid, hey, United are are in here, so you're going to have, you know, we've got options now and you're going to have to offer us more money. I've heard back from People being like, oh, no, those that's only what the tabloids do. Respected journalists don't do that. And I'm like, well, where are the respected journalists reporting on this deal? Because I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any of the trusted sources that I have. Everybody that I've spoken to has given me nothing. So where did this deal come from other than if you read the reports that appeared in in the mirror and the mail? it It's just – Hey, Van de Beek would be a good signing for United, and it's possible because Real Madrid may not be able to sign him. And Woodward and Van der Sar have a good relationship. And I know Van der Sar name dropped United, but of course he did. He works for Ajax. So who do you think leaked it to the paper anyway? So yeah, he's going to name drop us as a sign to Real Madrid. And I don't think he's lying. I don't think it's made up. I do think that if him and Woodward have a good converse, have a good relationship the The name has probably come up in conversation, in which case, then, without lying, he could say, "Oh, Manchester United have inquired about Vandeebeek. And there's no lie there. It just doesn't mean that they're actually serious about it. But, you know, there is there are these reports now that it's not just that Real Madrid don't want to pay all that money. It's that Real Madrid don't want to pay anything or can't pay anything because, of covid and because of their wage bill and because there's actually like some sort of salary cap in Spain that's more government enforced that go that's like stricter financial fair play for basically everybody and football clubs fall into this so it's it's not even like a uefa thing it's more of just a spanish thing and that's really why real madrid need to get james rodriguez and gareth bale off their books so if, if they can't do that and they've lost all this incoming revenue because of COVID, they really may not be able to sign anybody. In which case, then, Ed, yeah, you better get on the phone and be like, I know you're asking for $49 million, but like, you ain't got any other suitors and we'll give you 30
0: I think that's kind of the thing with Real Madrid right now is that they kind of put a lot of money into their spending spree last summer especially bringing in Eden Hazard, who has not really worked out for them.
2: They uh, had Ronaldo uh, money last
0: summer. Yeah, but they spent all of it.
2: <laughs> right. But, but yeah. that, but like, it wasn't like a – it. when you think, like, oh, it's Real Madrid, they get to just spend freely. It wasn't just a, hey, right. we're going to spend money this year. It was they actually hadn't spent in, like, three years. Yeah. They were very fiscally conservative. And then they got that Ronaldo money, and they were able to spread it around to five players very well. So, like, well, they –
1: Yeah, and the way the summer ended, too, you know, we spent all summer trying to get Harry Maguire, and it was looking like Bruno Fernandes was a done deal last summer, and then it didn't end up going through. And, you know, all the United fans were lamenting the fact that, that, you know, this team can't do business, and we're not letting you off the hook, Edward Ward. You still can't do business properly. But, like, people always propped up Real Madrid as like, oh, well, they're a big, you know, a they're a bigger club than we are, but you know, a similar big club. Why were they able to just knock out all these signings back to back to back the way they wanted to? And now we're seeing in hindsight, like after a year, I mean, some of the guys did turn out well. I mean, Edder Militao is pretty good. Benjamin Medi pretty good, but like they completely blew their nut on Eden Hazard and they are not getting the player. I think they want it. And so all of a sudden they've got,
2: that was predictable.
1: Yeah. So it's one of those things like, It it looks good going going into mid August and in September. Like, yeah, congratulations to Real Madrid's recruiting department for making all these deals happen. But now it's like they are now sleeping in the bed they made too. So you don't want to be overly cautious because you can't do business that way either. You get there inherently risk in it, but at the same time, like you, you can look at two sides of the spectrum if you want to just compare last summer of like Manchester United versus Real Madrid and trying to find that middle middle bit with hopefully bringing in some midfielders would be uh, pretty good for, for United then.
2: Yeah, it's it's Another. frustrating because, like, you, Real Madrid banged out five signings. You know, Bersia Dortmund announced four or five new signings within two weeks of the Bundesliga season ending. Yep. And then you have Ed Woodward in December being like, it's hard to get three signings done in a window, let alone six or seven. It's like, dude, Dortmund got four in within two weeks. You know, they got four in before the window opened. Um, you know, that's the little sneaky thing here, Ed, is you don't, you are apparently allowed to do your signings at any point in the year. They just can only go through during the windows. You don't have to wait for the windows to be open. But something that Nathan just said, dude, like when you said Ed Woodward, bad at your job, I tweeted that yesterday. Uh, basically along the lines of what you just said is we were never actually in for Bruno Fernandes last year. Everything from that came from sporting and from the Portuguese media, trying to link him, trying to drive up the price, trying to create a bidding war. We were never in for him, but there were so many leaks from the media, from Bruno, from Bruno's camp, from sporting's camp that all the fans bought it and thought that we were in for him and then got mad that we didn't close that deal. But you can't close a deal that you're not negotiating. And that's, what I worry is the same thing that's going to happen uh, with Vonda Beek here is all the fans think that this deal is, you know, progressing and that we're definitely in informed and we may not be. And Ed Woodward is bad at his job, but like I said, but he also has an impossible job because when the media runs with something like that and he doesn't get it done because he's not trying to get it done, he gets all the blame also. Uh, you know, everybody's going to blame him for being terrible when it's like I just, we weren't going for that player. And I tweeted that yesterday and the amount of people that responded and were like, Woodward's actually really good at his job. He's the CEO. His job is to bring in revenue and he's like really good at that. And I was like, yeah, I know this and I've been saying this for years that he should continue to, to hold his job and do the f- commercial side. But I am shocked that so many people are actually like defending him here.
0: I yeah, think let, that, let, uh, that money he's put into the sun is starting to pay off I, think. <laughs> I know, <right? laughs> his uh, personal propaganda team. I mean, let's, I've always said not get into that.
2: stay on the commercial side and just have yeah. nothing to do with the football side because he's a commercial genius. But it was shocking to see how many people were like mad at me for saying he's bad at this job.
1: Yeah, we can't start doing revisionist history either because we can look just, you know, four months ago. Uh, they treated a striker signing like I treated every paper I wrote in college. I mean, they got that thing done right <laughs> before it was due. I mean, they took that thing off of the printer at 8.15 and walked to their 8.30 class, you know? Like, that—that that is what they did with uh Odie and Igalo. They were looking at, after the, the Holland deal fell through, they were all of a sudden looking at all these, you know, stopgap options, and Slomani was one, and Igalo was... It, I mean, I retell it in that Curious Case of Agala piece I wrote. It was like, did, if uh, Galo ever got any hate from Manchester United fans, it's not his fault. It is 100% the people who recruited him. Granted, he played well in the few times that he played, and so now he's a cult hero. But I, I mean, that was that was a huge concern because it was like he was getting set up to fail based on our recruitment policies. As good as they've been with some of the players we've signed, it was still a microcosm of like all the bad business we've done over the last decade was just like, why are we waiting to the last minute to try try and sign a striker in the winter window, which well, is already inherently more difficult. To sign. I think
2: I think there's more to it with the Gala signing than what we know, because uh, I know that there were the reports and like the athletic ran a, ran a story about it. And the athletic is very trustworthy where they basically called Bournemouth and said, like, you have 15 minutes to give us an answer about Josh King. And they're like, otherwise, we're moving on. And they like called King's agent and they were like, basically, all right, who else you got? And it was like, well, what about Odin and Igala? That's like the story that we were told. I think they did more research than that, I think, because like we had heard Egala's name at one other point.
0: Yeah, he game. was being recruited. Uh, he was probably Watford's best player their first season, like back in the Premier League in 15, 16, right, which is and why I think he, he scored like
2: his money. He yeah, 10
0: to 15 goals. goals or something like that. And in January, we were linked with him because I think Rooney had just injured his knee and he was going to be out for three months and Louis van Gaal passed on him or whatever. I don't, there may not have even been a deal in place, but we were pretty heavily linked with him and he's always been pretty vocal that he was a Man United fan from the get-go.
2: Right, and I mean, I think it's a an agent that Solskjaer has a close relationship with, which is a lot of how transfers are done. You know, it's, yeah. their agent means the world and things and certain players go to certain teams because their agents, you know... It, it's the Fergie era is filled with that. You know, like uh, Zoran Tashic came because we wanted to sign somebody else. And it was like, Oh, if you want that kid, you got to You got to take this kid too. Um, So uh, yeah. When, when he said, do we have anybody else available? It was a panic buy, but like we knew that we were panic buying a striker because we knew we needed a striker and yeah. uh, we needed one. But when you think about it, what Igalo was and is, was perfect for us. And the way he's fit in, And think about all the other deadline day deals that Woodward has done, which like we're talking 11th hour. I'm pretty sure there's only one other. Maybe there's two other. If there's a second one, uh, it's Daily Blend. He might have came a few days before the deadline, but that was a good sign.
0: Was it Fellaini? (laughs) I think Fellaini Fellaini was deadline. I think he
2: came before, but it was after his release clause expired.
0: Yeah, it was after Uh, we lost out on Fabregas.
2: (laughs) Right. Um, the other deadline day deal was Martial and no one in their right mind had heard of Martial. And we were like, we just spent fifth. That's why he got that. You know, that's why the English, that's why it's 50 million down the drain because the media killed him right away because who the hell is this kid? You, you needed a striker and you spent 50 million pounds on a 19 year old. Like who the heck is this guy? And Van Gaal, you know, tried to defend it right away by saying, you know, I didn't I bought I didn't buy him for me. I bought him for the next manager. But hey, the guy's been a star. T- totally not a panic buy. And same thing with the So if there is one thing that we can actually kind of slightly praise Woodward for, it's that at least when his back's up against the wall and they very much need someone and it's the 11th hour, he's gotten it right.
1: I mean, do you think do you think, think has so. ever? uh reflected on those quotes though of like oh he bought him for the next manager just started laughing
2: right like well the <laughs> next manager was supposed to be gigs, so that was a good buy
1: yeah
2: and Mourinho yeah. came and went ah crap i got a 20 year old frenchman and a 18 year old english kid and i've gotta play one to show people that i why
1: am YouTube? i stuck with this movie adult adulterer right cheap, now man. but
0: that's kind of the thing with woodward is that it seems like And even, I think, Louis van Gaal, in hindsight, a lot of his signings did not pan out, especially the Schmidfield. But for the most part, it seems as though since van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, and now Solskjaer, Ed Woodward has been pretty good at getting targets that turn out to be okay to pretty good players. And the problem is that the deals kind of take so long in the summer that we miss out on other people, and we end up, you know getting maybe three or four with the last couple squeezed in by the end of the summer
2: right it's it's the one it's the one at a time mentality which like where did the one at the time mentality come from because we announced schneiderlin and schweinsteiger on the same day
0: well probably so no I, one else wanted those. <laughs> right
2: no, schneiderlin, schneiderlin like the was one of those players that uh, the like was one of those. Oh, I was good for Southampton. I'm gonna go to a big club in England. And like Tottenham were very much in for him. Um, but he was linked with like the rest of them. But it was it was us at Tottenham. Like if he didn't come here, he would have been at White Hart Lane. And we announced him. Bayern were just like, oh, cool. You want Schweinsteiger? Yeah. Like buy us a happy. Man. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: which, that's gonna which, be us with
1: Sanchez if Inter actually buys him.
2: <laughs> but like that's also. Red flag number one is uh, – if and real. I think it was Rio Fernand was saying it at the time – or not saying it at the time, but was saying it when we were being linked with Jerome Boateng. And he basically – and he said Bayern Munich don't sell players unless – or is Neville, I think. He's like, Bayern Munich don't sell players unless they're done with them and unless yeah. they have nothing to offer. And he's like, so if Bayern Munich are willing to let Jerome Boateng leave, don't take him. Like then you're just doing them a favor, and you you think about it, um, they probably knew something about Owen Hargreaves' knee because Hargreaves had one year left in him when he left. Schweinsteiger was, you know, uh, a walking corpse, and Boateng they've still been trying to get rid of, and he's still Although, there.
0: I think it is worth mentioning that the year that they sold Hargreaves was right after VfB Stuttgart won the Bundesliga, so I think Bayern were probably looking to rebuild and clean house anyway. Yes, but they um, held
2: on a year he yeah. that that deal took a year to get through,
0: yeah, um, so kind of turning towards the squad as it is now, um Paulie, you brought up something this morning, I think it was the United stand shared it about Bruno Fernandez being named uh the most valuable player in the world or the most valuable midfielder in the world, something like that by. Who? Uh, let me try to pull it up. Yeah,
2: man, you guys were talking in the Slack group today. Give me no heads up here. There we go. Uh, Bruno Fernandez has been named the most valuable midfielder in the world by the CIES Football Observatory.
0: Interesting. And Polly, I know you, we've all had. The, Discussions on Bruno Fernandes and his actual playing value before. And I don't think any of us would deny that he's had a great run at Manchester United so far. But I think this kind of shows how reactionary football is at the moment. That Bruno Fernandes has played, what, 10 games for us? Not even?
2: In all competitions, not even. He's played five Premier League games. uh, He's played what? He's played in two... Europa League games he appeared in another and he played an FA Cup game I assume I assume he played against Derby.
0: right and he, he's been talked up rightfully as you know a pretty good signing for us so far but it's almost it's worrying to me when stuff like this happens because...
2: And he's in the team of the... Uh, BBC put him in, like, the team of the year. Uh, ESP, ESPN
0: he FC didn't get put him card, in though. the Premier League All-11 as a midfielder instead of Paul Pogba, <laughs> which this season might be fair because he's played more than Paul Pogba has.
2: Not in the Premier League!
0: Right.
2: Pogba <laughs> still <laughs> played more and Pogba's got better numbers!
0: <laughs> but it, in a way, it's also, I think, a bit disrespectful the way that Bruno Fernandes is just assumed to be the best player in the team now because of the run that he's had, and I think it's particularly dis- disrespectful to Paul Pogba and maybe kind of shows the way that fans have treated him, but it worries me mostly because I don't want this sort of pressure to just add up on Bruno Fernandez's shoulders. And we'll get to another situation. Like we've been with Paul Pogba where he can't carry the team by himself because midfielders don't really do that. And it's all going to come back to haunt him.
2: (laughs) I mean, like we've won three of the games that Bruno Fernandez has played in, in one of them against Chelsea, they man marked him completely out of the game. He did. This was off of a
0: corner. Yeah.
2: Right. Which is exactly. Yeah. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, So I'm not going to say he did nothing because he provided a a big time moment, but in open play, I remember being like, you know, Chelsea are taking Bruno right out of this game and they're doing it relatively easily. And we played against Wolves where we didn't score a goal. So like, and, and against Everton also, um, you know, if he was this guy that this all time midfielder that everybody says is what Paul Pogba should be and and putting the team on his back, where was he against Everton?
0: Well, he did get us a point.
2: You did get us a point thanks to a uh, Pickford error, you know. And and Everton got a point because of a De Gea ever, er, 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 error and a, and a VAR.
0: So blank slate. Yeah. But, bad game. Just bad game. Yeah, bad game.
2: <laughs> but you know what this looks really, really good? For? You know like I think this looks really good for? And no Paul one's going to give him credit for it. No. Uh. No one's going to give him credit for it. But this looks really good for Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer because it shows that he built a team where everything was there for this team to be very good and all you needed to do was be a little bit better than Andreas Pereira or Jesse Lingard and suddenly you look like an MVP. It was so obvious you watch this team in the first half of the season that every time the ball found its way to the number 10 position which is what are the focal point of the team? That's what Mm -hmm. every single United team at every level plays because we've got Hannibal Medry and all these kids in the Academy and everything. That's the focal point of the team. And every time the ball found its way to them, our possessions died. And all you had to do was be a little bit better and,
0: and complete passes to your own teammates.
2: uh, Bruno's actually pretty bad at that, but that's because he takes risks and he's, and he tries stuff and because he doesn't mishandle the ball upon receiving it. Um, but all you have to do is be a little bit better than them. And I'm not, you know, in open play, he hasn't been that great. He's, he's got two assists off of set pieces. Um, but there's another thing is United get a lot of set pieces amongst the most in the league and did nothing with them in the first half of the year because we couldn't deliver a corner. Um, and we couldn't hit, you know, Rashford actually started to really come along with his shooting before he got hurt. Uh, he was just shooting at the goal. You know, the goalkeepers were making saves, but you you knew eventually one was going to go in. But anything that needed a cross or something, we couldn't do. So Bruno's come in and he's done that. There's a lot of value in that. There is a lot of value in the attitude that he's brought to the team. Um, but in open play, he he's he hasn't been amazing. He's been better than Andreas and Lingard, and suddenly mm-hmm. you're an MVP, which is a testament to the to the team and the system that Solskjaer has built.
1: Yeah, and I think um if you haven't read Paulie's piece yet that got published um talking about how like how can Bruno and Pogba play together I think it, that pretty much sums it up where Bruno has looked the best because you know he <laughs> compared to everybody else I mean yeah he's the best but I mean for the first half of the season we were comparing piles of shit based on the smell. Um so you know ha- having a guy like Bruno in there we we set it way back when we were still recruiting him before we even signed him. Bruno's going to be really good when he walks onto the team. And once we get other people, he might get relegated to being a squad player. But it's still important that we get him because, one, he's going to be a good bridge player, and, two, he'll be a good squad player. So I just – I'm with Polly on that one, and I'm with you on that, Colin. It makes me uncomfortable. We're really blowing it out of proportion. I mean, on the one hand, we're seeing the, the this MVP piece, but also I think it was last week. You know, Bruno Fernandes is quoted in saying he's looking at changing certain things up in his game so that way the Premier League can't figure him out or something like that. You know, so that way they're always on their toes. So I almost wonder if to a certain degree he's already starting to feel a little bit too much pressure than he should for playing nine games with Manchester United, you know. So um, hmm. I, I think there's also the risk that
0: kind of comes with any player that goes on a good run in any sport. Is that when you get burnt out, it kind of the press kind of turns against you the same way that they got for you when you had your explosive start.
1: Like I think Messi, that, Lingard. Yes, exactly. Like I mean, I mean, look how vilified Jesse Lingard, who for all intents and purposes strikes me as a very decent person, and the way people just trash him because he has a couple good games at the Emirates. Uh, we make the, the messy Lingard jokes and he likes to dance and he, he's celebrating. Uh, Cause he goals.
2: overachieved. He overachieved one year.
1: Exactly. and, yeah, and so- That
2: into a world cup place where he scored a great goal against Panama. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Also Americans know how easy that is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <You> know,
2: <laughs> no, I very much, I I really like Bruno's attitude and the fact that, yeah, he's, you know, he's got that attitude of, I'm going to constantly be trying to get better. It just, it boggles my mind. It's like, when, pe- when people are saying, well, can he play with Pogba? And it's like, well, if he can't play with Pogba, that's a problem, because or, you know, why would, why do we need Grealish, or, or Van de Beek, or any other attacking midfielder when we have Bruno and Pogba? And it's like, because you just saw what happens when we only have one of them, and they get hurt. And now, look at what happened when we only had one of them. Um, you know, we've only won one game this year that Paul Pogba started. we only we only won three of the five Premier League games that Bruno Fernandez started. So it's not like we are title challengers with one of them, and we just needed depth. And now it's like we have to figure out how to use the two of them. If not, we just have good depth. It's we we were we're sitting in the table because we've overachieved for a lot of the year when we didn't have either of them, and when we were missing Anthony Martial or Marcus Rashford, and we overachieved to get to fifth place, which is about where we are when we're full strength is we should be fourth or fifth because, you know, we're inconsistent and we're young, but we need to get better, which means you need to be able to add more good players. And Bruno Pogba was that. And now when Bruno or Pogba can't play or as Colin just said, when you burn out and you slow down a bit, well, how do you prevent burnout is you have to be able to plug somebody else in one one game here or 30 minutes here without taking a massive step down. I mean, you look at the first game against Club Bruges when we drew 1-1 in that away leg and people were upset about that. But like we played Lingard and Pereira and Mata and a whole bunch of second class players in that game. And then Bruno comes on for 15 minutes and it's a look like a different team. That means that there's just a huge step down between Bruno and the next guy. And that's what Mm -hmm. you want to eliminate. Uh,
0: I think. Ole is not somebody who's necessarily had the opportunity to do this, but when he does have an opportunity, he will switch up his squad and explore his options. And it's not just in cup games that we've seen him do that. We've seen him change up formation and players in Premier League games as well, even with kind of restricted selection of players. But when I, I think the ideal situation is Bruno can turn into that sort of player that can kind of be like, LeBron playing with the second squad at the beginning of the second quarter like he wants that sort of depth that he can just plug in a creative player in that number 10 role and I think he wants more options like Bruno not necessarily better than Bruno but if they turn out to be Bruno better than Bruno then you know so be it that's great too
2: and you could also say like we're gonna play Bruno as the number eight today and so we could play insert whoever we signed as a young number 10 today and we're going to play him next to Pogba and you sit there and you tell Pogba like you got to be the 6 you got to no risks no nothing and you know haters will say well Pogba didn't do anything today well yeah because he sat back and played defensively and he just sprayed passes all over the field and he let Bruno and Kai Havertz run the show um you know you get that flexibility you wouldn't do that against Chelsea but you could do that against West Ham at home
1: yeah and, right. and I would just say look at Pick, pick a game, because right now, uh, as good as Liverpool has been, you know you might still consider City at least the class of the league. They're the two-time defending champions. Look, look at their starting 11. Um, I mean, they're bringing Riyad Mahrez off of the bench, who is a Premier League champion with one of the most improbable teams to ever win anything. Um, and it's just one of these things where you look. they can have David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Ilkay Gundogan, Bern- uh, Bernardo Silva – um, all on the field at the same time. I mean, those guys are all uh, ostensibly central midfielders. Of course, they'll play Bernard Bernardo out on the wing a lot, but, I mean, he can just as easily play the 10 as he plays, you know, out wide. And so it's like they don't even feel the need to necessarily have two defensive-minded midfielders with one creative midfielder because they just know they can pass their way out of situations. And so just bringing in guys that provide different looks and fit in Ollie's system is always going to make us more dangerous because if you cannot prepare for counterattacking Manchester United, all of a sudden, I mean, it just makes us that much, you know, better. I mean, if we can actually start unlocking defenses, we don't have to necessarily sit there and you know, concede sixty percent possession and just hope to get one on the break. I mean, we can start actually inflicting our will on people. And that's I think what Ollie's goal is too with recruitment. So yeah. And it you, just and keeps coming to that as recruitment. Always so right. keep an open well, mind and find the right guys.
2: Well, Colin just said something about Ali, But when you, if you're going to look at depth, who's the exact guy that knows that you need depth better than anybody? Ali Gunnar Solskjaer, yeah. one of the best strikers to ever play for the club uh, at one. At some points in his career, he was moved out to the right wing. Um, but before the injuries came, he was that important to United year after year. Was he ever first choice? And and it wasn't just, oh, you know, we have Sheringham and York and Cole and and then it was like, well, we lost one, but and it wasn't like, okay, well, Solskjaer will take the reins now. It was nope we're bringing in Van Nistelrooy, and we're bringing in this guy and we're 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 bring there was always somebody and
0: yep. Sher- Sir Alex always wanted to have at least three or four starter quality strikers in his side. Right.
2: And, yeah. and and Solskjaer was one of the best strikers around, but never first choice. Did he play? Oh yeah. All the time. Played a lot. And so he she scored knows,
1: four goals off the bench. I mean, like, the man just knew how to get it done when he had his opportunity.
2: Right, but, right. like, in, you you think back, like, right now we hear the folklore of, you know, the 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 99 team. It was York and Cole up front, and um, Beckham on the right, Giggs on the left, Keenan, Skulls in midfield. And then you go back and watch a random game here, and a random game there, and a random game there. And it's like, oh, Solskjaer started that one. Or, oh, there's Nicky Butt. Um, you know, they played a lot and he knows it's man management. He knows, you know, he was man managed his entire career. So he knows how to, he knows what those players that are on the bench that you need to contribute are thinking, which gives him a leg up. And we've already seen his man management this year, the way he's handled Brandon Williams and Mason Greenwood, the way he handled Fred at the beginning of the season, where he, he came in at preseason and, and, you know, he doesn't say anything negative, about any of his players he doesn't really give away too much about his team and he straight up said Fred was fourth choice and Fred has to come in in September and by October Fred's a really good player and you know there was the whole Matic thing in the first half of the season and then you know when he's calling on the mania Matic in December and January Matic is now a crucial player to the point that you look at this midfield now and you're like well Bruno's got to be in there Pogba's got to be in there is it going to be Fred or Matic? And there are very good arguments to make for both of them. Yeah. And that's all the band management was when these guys weren't in the team. Solskjaer kept kept them up and kept them ready to contribute when their names were called upon.
0: And, and he keeps giving just, people chances too, uh, even after. I, I mean, Andres Pereira is still getting games even. I mean, after Pereira, the and
2: Lingard, <laughs> Pereira and Lingard are getting chances because there was nobody else, and it was a very telling thing was. Um, all throughout the first half of the season, you know, how many games did we have three defenders in our on our bench? You know, it was you know, Twanzebee, Ashley Young, and Brandon Williams or something on the you know, there were just extra defenders because we didn't have anybody to put on the bench. So Wingard had to be on the bench, Pereira had to start. And finally, when once Odien Igallo arrived and we finally had enough senior players to fill out a match day 18. Pereira and Lingard were dropped right away, and they came back to play against uh, to play against Bruges because, well, all we needed is a result. And frankly, like we we may not be able to rely on you guys to score goals, but you actually are pretty good at at def- at defending and counter pressing that we can rely on you to go to Bruges, who are definitely inferior to us, and get a result. And that's all we need. Uh, but then in the league again. They've been dropped, and they're they're really only popping up now when we have injuries.
1: yeah, i I, I think the the thing to take away from this conversation is uh, United is in a is in a good position. We've got a core of young stars that we can continue to build around. So at this point, anybody who's questioning who Ollie's looking at right now because I think at this point, Ollie's earned himself some slack as far as who he's looking at. I think the guys that he's signed have gone well. So, um, to use another basketball analogy, we're going to start filling this team up with some Jamal Crawfords, you know? We just need guys that can come off the bench and do work. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sorry. Hold on. The the podcast with the three American guys, we we got to stick to it. Uh, My bad. (laughs) But yes, more Jamal Crawfords.
0: Right. Well, uh, speaking of dynamic attacking pieces, um, we'll be back with more of that after the break. Um, But we've been going for about 53 minutes now so we may try to keep it quick (laughs) quick in part two but uh yeah thanks for sticking with us this far and we are back for part two um we are introducing a new segment to the busby babe podcast uh where fans can leave voicemails uh and i'm gonna let polly explain this since he's the person who set it up
2: (laughs) yeah we've got a new segment for the week we're gonna do a voicemail of the week uh, maybe a few more, depending on how many we get and how many of them are good.
0: Um, and also how short our answers to these questions can be.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, as we've proven, you could give us a bad question and we could get 45 minutes out of them. Um, anyway, right. the number is 616-BUSBY-BA. Uh, that's 616-287-2922. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out a way to, so that people that aren't based in the United States can Call and leave us a voicemail or send us a voicemail. Um, standard messaging and data rates will apply. If you leave a message, you're consenting to us using it on the show. But we want to hear you. We want to be the podcast that gives the fans a voice. We want to hear your reactions. Call us up right after the game with your rapid reaction or any other question. Um, keep it appropriate. But uh, I'm going to say you don't have to be sober, but just keep it appropriate. So when you're walking from the bar and you're pissed off, Hit up that line, 616-287-2922, 616 ba So we're starting out with all the submissions we got. We're just going to do one this week. We picked the best one, the one that we could talk about. Uh, I'm going to play it here. I'll read it back to try to concise just, give us the concise answer. Um,
0: just real right. quick before we play it. When you said Busby Bay, that made, gave me a great idea to change the name of this podcast to the Busby Bays, and it will be the Busby Bays <laughs> in,
1: in, instead of a uh, Yank born and bred. Right. Also, by this the way, if you do leave we, a this is why we don't have the Twitter keys. Yeah, if you do leave a voicemail and call us dumb Americans, you're already telling us something we know. So, I mean, yeah. you can the, you can save it. The name of this episode is
0: officially the Busby Bays.
2: All right. Colin and Nathan have never heard these before, so we'll get some non-prepared, authentic answers.
0: Hello, Bubsy Babe podcast. Uh, Long-time fan, first-time caller. Um, My
1: question for you guys is, um, Jaden Sancho, obviously we know, is a huge target for United to shore up that right-hand side.
0: However, assuming we can't get him in some sort of scenario or he doesn't come to United, my question is who would you guys consider for that right hand side assuming that Daniel James is not the answer? Um so uh looking forward to hear what you guys have to say. Thanks. Bye. Uh- Okay. Imagine, so. Imagining a world where we don't get Jaden Sancho.
2: <laughs> so, St. Joe, which is how Google voice transcripted this for me. Uh, if we do not get him, who would we want to target to play on that right wing? Assuming that Daniel James is not the answer to play there every day.
1: Well, I, I'll start off by congratulating myself on being semi-prophetic when we first announced to Brent that we were doing this and I made the joke, Hey, first time, long time. <laughs> Literally, the first voicemail we get starts with that. So thank you for making me feel like the Pope for a half a second. Um, so who would I want outside of Jaden Sancho? First of all, whoever uh, the best steroid man in Europe is, I would like to get them introduced to my my son, Daniel, so he can put a couple couple LBs on or, or stone in the U.K. Uh, right? Introduce him it, to
2: Otto Gomez, too, if yeah. he signs the contract.
1: Well, it, it would actually like just straight up growth hormone for it. Uh, angel gomez there um or some stilts or something i don't know um as far as right wingers go though i mean that's when i think it becomes that much more important that we look at these kind of hybrid midfielder winger players like a kai havertz i think he could bring a lot off of that right side then um while also being able to cut inside and be able to uh distribute be versatile still bring pace to that to that side i think um He's a good shout, for sure. I'd uh, be curious to see what Colin says off of the fly, uh, having not known what the Joe St. Joe question was going to be. Or June St. Joe, excuse so you right.
0: <laughs> right, June St. Joe.
1: Um,
0: I'm going to go... This is tricky Surely. because... <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is an interesting thing that might be uh, for another time. But uh, I'm going to give one uh, Federico Chiesa, who plays for Fiorentina. I'm not huge on Serie A players. I kind of think that Serie A is not necessarily at the same level as other top leagues, but I do think Federico Chiesa is a pretty versatile right-wing player that can fill in a role across the front line, which is really what we need, and I think somebody who can take the pressure off of the left-hand side and Marcus Rashford in terms of getting the ball forward. Um, he's been an up and comer for a couple of years now. Uh, I think we were linked with him last summer, but it, it was probably just newspaper name dropping again. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with that one. And I'm, I'm trying to think of who's the guy for IX that, uh that David Neres. I yeah, know, David, David Neres might be another good one.
1: Thanks for taking that. other of, answer. Yeah, I literally just googled him to make sure he played <laughs> right wing.
0: Right, right wing is kind of not a very deep position when it comes to who can you buy in FIFA to make your right wing immediately better? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's important. That's important. But yeah, I,
0: I think it's important that we go young and I, I think Chiesa kind of checks a few boxes for what all he's looking for in a player.
2: Yeah. My first choice um, is Kai Havertz. I know he plays down the middle right now and I know he plays as a second forward, but you have to. I love the fact that he's left-footed, so he could come off the right side. All right, he's not a traditional winger, but traditional wingers are dead. Uh, if you need someone to boom a cross in, we have you know Juan Basaka on an over as an overlapping fullback can do that. He's one of the better you know percentage-wise he's one of the better crosses in the league. He's 12% of his crosses have found have been successful. That is 5% more than Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, but we're also not a crossing team. We don't have players that go up in the box and and bash headers in. It's a pretty inefficient way of playing. If you look at our team, we play with that, you know, where Rashford runs into the space created by Martial. Uh, on the on the right side, you could have Mason Greenwood do that, and you could have Kai Havertz do that as, as second and third forwards. So he'd be a really good fit there if we can't get Kai Havertz because uh, – I assume if we're not getting uh, June St. Joe, it's because of a money thing and Leverkusen want Kai Havertz for 90 million. So I would assume that it's a money thing there. If we need to go cheaper, I'm going Todd Cantwell. Um, I know there's a lot of people at uh, there's a lot of people who w- say if you're going to look to Norwich, go Emmy Buendia, but Cantwell just strikes me as a much better fit. Buendia is more of a traditional right winger which is what Daniel James is when he plays on the right side he's a go down uh the right side he pumps in a ton of crosses not a lot of accuracy behind it but also just that's what he does um it's he seems to be like a one-trick pony and that's not going to survive in the premier league anymore is you need to be more of a player who doesn't rely on crossing and can beat players off the, off the dribble and get to the middle and, and pull it and, and use both feet. And, and Cantwell also is left footed. So he'd be able to cut in on that left side. And again, you have Juan Bisaka overlapping or you tell them to stay wide. Um, and you know, they can interchange across that front three. So if we had to go cheap, I'd go Todd Cantwell because I think a good, You know, there wouldn't be a clear number one, so you can use Dan James, who's very good on the counter, very good defensively, um, and good at stretching teams and playing defenses, uh, stretching defenses. His final ball still needs work. It's not there, but again, he's 21, so that'll come, and maybe next year it, it comes. You also have Mason Greenwood, who when teams aren't pressing us, is really good. Uh, he's got some shortcomings defensively. And I wrote about that. That was published today, which is really what's held him back from playing more than he has. But I think, you know, by next year, he'll be better. Uh, maybe not amazing, but better. And he'll get more playing time that way and, and be a big time threat coming off that right wing. And then you'll have Cantwell, who could also provide you with those kind of, who could also fight and push, for places, maybe he could push Dan James. Maybe he pushes Mason Greenwood. Also, 21 years old, so it's a good young team that is pushing to get better. Uh, obviously, it's not the most ideal to, to if you're trying to upgrade there, but neither is Buendia So again, go out there and and get Kai Havertz.
0: Yeah, I think b- both of those options. I, I was actually just thinking about this after I finished talking that Chiesa is actually a bit undersized. Um and in the Premier League, that might be a big deal. Whereas Cantwell has not only proven that he can play in the Premier League, he's pretty stout physically, and he's also able to play on both sides of the midfield as well. I think he's a versatile player. He's also played in kind of creative central roles. Um and Kai Havertz of course, can do all that as well.
2: Yeah, and and Cantwell is maybe he lacks some create creativity. Um a bit. Buendia definitely more creative, but Buendia not a scoring threat. And you know, this is part of why Norwich are where they are, and you, you need to be both these days. It's not enough to be, you know, like there's a reason that Antonio Valencia eventually got moved from right wing to right back because he was a one-trick pony at right wing, and this was five years ago. Uh, you in the in the Premier League, you need to if you're going to be a wide player, you need to be both creative and a scoring threat, and I just everybody always shouts. Well, we need a right wing. We need a right wing. We haven't had one in ages. You know, Juan Mata played on the right wing for us, and he's not a right winger. He had a nine goal for us this season for us. You know, you can Mm -hmm. Marcus Rashford is not a winger. He operates as a second forward. So, you know, you can use your fullbacks to push forward. But again, it's not like we've got a big target man in the box that's good with his head. You know, Martial's got a couple of goals with his head. That goal against Chelsea standing out and. You hope that that means he's getting better there and he's going to be more consistent, but until he's more consistent, we don't know. Um, but you want to just play within play within the style, and, and everybody should be a threat to both score and create. And so, you know, and Havertz would provide us with depth if Martial does get hurt. You could probably play Havertz in Martial's position rather than Rashford, who struggles there. But if, if not him, then I'd go Cantwell, who will be nice and cheap coming yep. from a relegated side.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, another one who would be coming from a relegated side that I just thought of would be David Brooks, uh, who's, of course, the young Welsh winger and not the controversial <laughs> Washington Post columnist. Um, or not the yeah.
2: controversial old expensive Welsh winger.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, David Brooks had kind of a breakout season for Bournemouth last year. Of course, Bournemouth's fortunes have not been as good this year, and Brooks has been injured, which is a problem when you're looking at recruiting a young player. But, uh, you know, he's another player who has Premier League experience, and his primary position is on the right wing, which yeah. when it comes to players that stick out, that's not necessarily the case anymore.
2: Brooks is, Brooks is really good. My concern with Brooks is, how old is, is he, 23, 24 at this point?
0: Yeah, he's like 22, 23, something like that.
2: I mean, I feel like I, I, I could be totally wrong because who knows what happens when you stick Brooks into a really good team. But I feel like ultimately he is what he is now. Um, you know, Cantwell's 21, maybe 22 at this point in the year. Um, played one year in the Premier League. Could probably develop. I you're If you bring in Cantwell, you're hoping that someone between Cantwell greenwood and james uh grabs that spot and like makes themselves first choice i feel like at this point brooks is a great squad player and that's all he'll be so Uh if you bring in brooks you're really saying like we're really hoping that greenwood or um james gets this spot and you know, right now in Solskjaer's system, it's really designed very well for Greenwood to score goals, but he's, he's not good on the break and he isn't great defensively that you, you can't make him be first choice. And maybe his future is in that center forward role. Uh, but maybe he can grow into this, like, you know, learn how to play on the break, learn how to do the defensive part and then he'll thrive in this system. Uh, so that's, that's possible. Like, you know, you, you have to think a kid that's this talented who is, ta- who is scoring as much as he does in all competitions, but in the Premier League with very little minutes in the Premier League. Uh, he's got five goals and he's played barely more than Paul Pogba. You got to think this guy's going to be first choice at some point. It's a matter of will it be on the right? Will it be on in the middle?
1: Yeah. Um, if I were to <laughs> prepare to roll your eyes, but if I were to throw out a couple, couple other options that I can think of just off the top of my head, maybe from, uh, all the, all the days worth of hours of FIFA I've played. Uh, so, so David Neresh was, it was a name that cropped up. Uh, I was Googling him as, uh, um, so Colin this, actually mentioned him.
2: This, is, this is Google.
1: Yeah. So another one that I think would be maybe interesting. He's, he's a little bit older. He's about 24, but you've got Yusuf Atal from Nice, who just had a really good season. He's kind of interesting because he's he's a hybrid, almost like Juan Bissaka, where uh, plays right wing, plays right back, uh, or maybe like a Dama Traore, where depending on what the situation is, um, you know, they've kind of got him covering all over the right wing, uh, which I like the idea of a player having that kind of work rate and maybe having a little bit of a defensive prowess, so that way when you're off the ball, you can still sit there and press and you, you know how to get the ball back. Um, I think he would be kind of an interesting shout, and then I think a cheeky one, um, only because he spent his entire youth as a as a Liverpool prospect. Would be Ryan Kent, who currently plays for uh, for Rangers in the Scottish Premiership. Um, I mean, the dude's an absolute burner. So I think it, it'd be cheeky, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe he feels miffed that he doesn't play for Liverpool anymore and wants to come to the good side. I don't know.
2: Liverpool so. has another have another kid somewhere. plays i think on the wing that i i remember watching him at one point harry wilson maybe it's harry wilson but i was like oh that guy's good we should put him on our team and then it was like oh he's a liverpool player on loan like great
1: (laughs) well ryan kent was permanently bought by rangers after being on loan from liverpool last year so um the, the moment he graduated from his youth career he was he never made an appearance i don't think for liverpool it was all on loan to Coventry, Barnsley, Freiburg, Bristol City, Rangers. Do, do you remember
2: the the pushback we got when we signed a player from Swansea? Imagine what's gonna happen if we sign a player from freaking.
1: Oh, are we Scottish. talking about my, my son Daniel? Who? Yeah. <laughs>
2: I just I couldn't believe like I was like right when I heard this kid Daniel James and I did any sort of research on him I was like this would be a great signing cheap you know room to grow. Come in, be a squad player, be very good. And everybody's like, we're signing players from Swansea now. Like, we're not going to be good. And I'm like, well, Liverpool signed Mane from Southampton. So, like, and they signed Andy Robertson from a team that got relegated. Like, you could find good players from bad teams and then put them with other good players. And turns out they stay very good.
1: Man, Although, but, uh, we're we're uh, actually coming up on the one year anniversary of me publishing the article Manchester United <laughs> <laughs> fans should be more excited about Daniel James. That was published. On June 24th, 2019. Oh, well, he was and-
2: signed on June 12th. It's three days away.
1: Yeah. So I would I would just like to uh, readdress anybody who commented on that article, especially those who called me a mouthpiece for the Glazers. I think I, I think I came out on the right end of this one. Thank you. Don't ever talk bad about my son again.
0: I do want to say, I don't know if I would trust a positive evaluation by Steven Gerrard if he's willing, to, <laughs> if he's if he's willing to sell a player to Manchester
1: United, right? I'm not sure I would trust that. <laughs> Look, man, a- if you've ever played weekend league against Ryan Kent, the man is an animal. Okay, <laughs> we need that kind of speed. Right, but what else can you do? You know, we're not just
2: trying to build the foundation of the team anymore. We have the foundation, and now we're trying to build some fancy rooms to make it the nicest house on the block.
1: Well, he, I mean, he's a two footed player too. I mean, he. he Elliot, for FIFA, he's really good. That's all I'm going to say.
2: Yeah, Gabriel Oberton was really good in FIFA.
0: He was not really good in FIFA. I remember him not <laughs> you being could good
2: could use in FIFA. him well because he was fast. He was, like, if you were playing a game, you could use him better than Giggs because Giggs was slow as hell.
0: Uh I just put Giggs in the middle or on, like, a right attacking mid roll.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, why well, do that when you grab, like, skulls and... uh? I just to put like, Skulls and Gibson so I could shoot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Shoot the J. Screamers only. Uh, all right. Um, I think
1: that about does it for this episode. <laughs> now that we're talking about FIFA. <laughs> hey,
2: hey, it's the right sport.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not right. talking about 2K20 right now.
2: Yeah, but next week we get to come back, more voicemails, and we actually get to, to preview a game.
1: Oh, my God. And not only are we just previewing a game, we're previewing the game. We're previewing the game. <laughs> the special the game. Man. Oh, my God. I cannot wait to talk so much S about Jose Mourinho. Uh,
0: yeah, so we will be back next week uh, previewing Tottenham Hotspur. And uh, it'll be at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I think they confirmed that, right? Yes. Yeah. So Premier League football on its way back. And uh, I think Wednesday, even, there's going to be some games. Yeah, but we're eight days away yeah
1: man nothing uh, like paying those operations costs in that brand new stadium and not have anybody in there <laughs> <laughs> hate to see it
2: hey it took out a massive loan and they were like oh don't worry <laughs> nothing to see here
0: yeah so we will be back next week thanks for tuning in and again uh you know don't hesitate to call in and leave us a question on the new fan voicemail you can uh, check out the number Polly's got it and he can say it after I've finished talking but it's also in the post that we just put up on the Buzzbee Babe.
2: 616 Buzzbee Bay B A 6162872922 you could call me up tell me I'm an idiot uh, I will definitely if you if you actually give tell me I'm an idiot for a specific take and actually come up with the with the reason why I I guarantee you I will play it
1: can you yeah. text us number two? Like can you can you hit up the Busby Bays and be like WYD? No, but you can tweet at us at you the up? Busby Bay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you could tweet at you could tweet at me too. I'm I'm pretty good at answering anybody that comes at me on, on Twitter. I love my followers, even if I don't even if I don't agree with you guys.
1: I Meanwhile, them. I I'm not very confrontational. I just live tweet when I'm making chicken parmesan for dinner like I did last night. <sighs> It was dope, though. It was really good. <laughs> Looking forward to the leftovers.
0: All right. Well, we are the Busby Bays and uh, <laughs> we are signing off, so uh, we'll see you next week.
1: Auf Zion.